Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 2. I'm Greg Northey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined by Mil Proyer of QJAC Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. How are you doing today, Milt? I'm really good, Greg. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, too. We have week two in the books, approaching the end of August. We're going to start to see probably an uptick in volumes of Canadian grain moving moving out of the country. But how did the railways perform in week two, Milt? Uh, well, week two is a bit of an odd one, I guess, if I can characterize it that way. CP kind of held their own, same performance as we saw the prior week, 95%, which, you know, continues a very long run for CP that we're pushing 20 or 21 weeks in a row where they've been over the 90% threshold. So good there. Uh, CN though, uh, interestingly enough, with extremely low demand, I mean, looking back in our numbers, certainly the lowest one week demand at any time of year in five plus years just a little over 500 orders. And despite that, they came in with 79% order fulfillment, which was driven by the fact that uh, they canceled 102 of those roughly 520 orders, which is a very odd thing to see at this time of year. I mean, it can happen. We, We saw that happen last year, but there was a very good reason for that because they were still coming out of the a wildfire situation in July in southern BC. So, you know, external shocks like that can lead to some different things happening when you wouldn't normally expect them. But this one is very difficult to uh, to explain, at least based on the information we have. I mean, sometimes it's just blips like this, Milt. Do you feel there's any cause for concern here as far as a sort of a long-term maybe structural issue or just uh, maybe a bit of an issue in, in week two? No, I think, uh, I mean, you know, the future will always tell us how good our predictions are, but based on what we can see, there's there's nothing that looks uh, systemic. I mean, it wasn't a lot of car orders that they canceled, 102 in total, which were basically, you know, three separate small blocks of cars. The only commonality between them is they were all in the province of Saskatchewan, but they weren't even in close geographic proximity to one another. So you had some cars, you know, uh, orders canceled in northwest Saskatchewan, in northeast Saskatchewan, and in southeast Saskatchewan. So, you know, when you see something like that, it's, it's not like there's a particular local service issue that's concentrated in one area. So I, I my guess is this is just an aberration and Maybe we'll never know exactly what happened, but I don't think that it's setting the tone for, at least I hope it's not for what we're going to see in the weeks to come. Yeah, hopefully not. Um, you mentioned, obviously, let's turn our attention to provincial performance. You just talked about Saskatchewan and CN, but otherwise, anything notable around the other provinces between CN and CP? No, they're good. The Saskatchewan for CN, which, you know, because of that concentration of cancellations, knocked performance there down to 41%, but both railways everywhere else, 90% or better, um, very consistent across corridors. CP, uh, their struggle was in Alberta was, you know, the Vancouver corridor, but that makes up almost always the majority of the traffic, which was the case again this week. But despite that, they were 90%. So no, Saskatchewan for CN kind of sticks out like a sore thumb this week. Okay, thanks, Milt. Well, let's pick up with our conversation around grain plans. So we talked about this last week. You know, the general background is that CNCP 
have to publish grain plans at the end of July and how they plan to move uh, Canadian grain uh, through the year. As the ATC, uh, we put in a lot of a lot of recommendations on how to improve those grain plans, and we've since received those grain plans. Both railways published them at the end of or just the beginning of this month. As Mills, you you went through some of the things we asked for related to uh, capacity, uh, or at least forecasts. Sorry, the forecasting through uh, principal corridors and a lot of the issues around you know how the railways plan to move that that uh, forecasted grain through each corridor. And what capacity they were going to put on, what kind of targets they had around car cycles, trip times, et cetera. And then obviously a big one for us is that, uh, you know, a continued reporting on on how they're they're meeting their targets and their service. So, you know, the, the rough outline of what a grain plan should look like. So let's turn our attention to what the grain plans actually do look like. What did we get from, from CNCP? And I think this week we'll focus on CN. Next week we'll uh, turn our attention to CP. So Let's dive into this, Milt. CN's grain plan, they've been pretty consistent over the past few years and what we do get out of them. Obviously, we asked for for more things. So what what did we see in uh, CN's grain plan for this year? I guess on the whole, despite the recommendations, as you uh, referred to, that we put into the government looking for some very specific changes, those changes, as you said, you know, very much focused on getting the railways to provide some transparency around their planning, you know, through the setting of asset utilization targets and service performance targets and specific corridors, et cetera. Unfortunately, our recommendations for both railways fell short or didn't hold, if you want to look at it that way. For CN, I guess I would say their format changed a little bit this year, but Generally speaking, the content uh, was very similar to what we've seen in prior years. Lots of discussion around how they're ready to move all of the grain that's going to be in the market for them to move this year. And they're expecting they're going to move between 25 and 27 million tons of grain, which is kind of in the range of, you know, a normal quote unquote year. Of course, last year being a a significant exception because of the drought. So not a lot different there. There was a couple of things, though, that stood out and and stood out notably. One was what I would describe as a a warning, if you will, to industry from CN uh, with respect to capacity, particularly in the westbound corridors uh, this year, this coming year. The other was uh, the way they presented their capacity or proposed capacity allocation, which basically says, you know, our plan is to spot X number of empty hopper cars uh, each week, and they break it up by season. It's higher in the fall and the spring and lower in the winter. That's, that's consistent. They do that every year. But this year, the things that are interesting and I think should concern industry, frankly, is uh, they spent a lot of time talking about the West Coast corridors. So that's Vancouver and Prince Rupert, you know, which for CN handle probably about 70% of the grain traffic that CN moves out of Western Canada. So it's a big number. And they basically came right out and said, they didn't mince any words here, that capacity was going to fall short of demand, not just for grain, but for all commodities in both the Vancouver and the Prince Rupert corridors in the latter part of 2022 and the early part of 2023. 
so otherwise described as winter. So that's concerning that they're already talking about that. It's not something that we've ever seen in their grant plan before, that kind of a, a warning. That combined with, they did spend some time talking about the fact that they were not able to hire as many conductors as they were looking to hire. So if there's going to be a capacity shortfall in those two corridors, my guess is it's going to be train crew driven. So they won't have enough crews to man the number of trains they think they'll need to run in order to handle everything that, you know, shippers are telling them that they're going to ship. So that's probably a not a good thing. But what CN does, if you will, on the other side of that coin is they spend quite a bit of time talking about how industry needs to better balance its shipments uh, across CN's network and utilize the corridors where CN has ample capacity. And they are very explicit about the fact that they have excess or unused, if you will, capacity in their eastern corridors, specifically Thunder Bay and to eastern Canada. And that one way to alleviate the problem uh, or the capacity crunch in the West Coast corridors would be to shift traffic going eastbound. Great idea if you're the guy putting the capacity on the table, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily reflect how the market works and that's, that's going to be the issue. But that gets translated in their plan into how much capacity they're planning to offer or will be able to handle on a weekly basis. So what they've done this year, uh, which they haven't done before, is they've said that in the fall and in the spring, they would expect to be able to spot uh, 7,100 on the low end, up to 7,800 hopper cars per week. And that's a total of railway supplied cars plus private cars, of which there are a fair number that move on CN's network. And that number, that range would be for the fall and the spring. And for the winter, it would go to 5,600 to 6,250. So at the lower end of the range, they're a little higher than the capacity offering they had published last year. But then there's a 10% swing to the high end of their range. And basically what they say in their plan is that the low end will reflect their capacity if they do not achieve, to use their words, corridor balance. And the high end of the range reflects or would reflect if they do achieve corridor balance. So basically what they're saying is, A, we're going to have a capacity crunch going west. B, we have unused capacity or excess capacity going east. And if you don't shift your flow to use the capacity in the corridors where we have it on a system basis, you are going to end up with effectively 10% less capacity than you otherwise would. That's a really interesting twist on uh, these green plans. I think it should concern industry uh, significantly because what CN is trying to do and, you know, effectively is they're trying to swing the market to meet the capacity they're prepared to offer as opposed to put the capacity in place in the corridors that the market is dictating, which is pretty interesting when you think about it. Yeah, that that it it's it is quite the new twist. I mean, do they do they reflect at all on how I mean we've asked for certain things in the plan to show how they're going to achieve that capacity level. Like the emphasis on the Eastern corridor, do they, do they expand a little bit on why or how they, they feel they're going to have this much excess capacity in the corridor? 
Oh, well, that's the interesting thing is, is they, they, they spend a great amount of time talking about how they won't have enough capacity going west. They have excess capacity going east. Shippers need to turn uh, east versus west in order to balance out CN's capacity, but nowhere in their plan do they actually say how much capacity they have in each corridor, which is one of the things that we had asked for when we had submitted our recommendations to the federal government and, of course, you know, didn't get. So it's, it's kind of uh, odd, I guess, for want of a better term, that they're making an argument to ship east because shipping west will be problematic, but they don't really come out and tell you how much they can handle going west and how much more they could handle going east if shippers actually take their direction and do that. So, you know, it's, it, I don't know what, sh- I don't know what industry is supposed to do with that kind of guidance, frankly. Yeah, it's particularly, it's, it's very tricky to have, to have confidence either way. And there is capacity on, on these coasts as far as terminal capacity, but the kind of guidance we're getting from CN here just, just doesn't provide the clarity to the industry around how that capacity is going to work. So, and quite frankly, our service providers shouldn't really be dictating, you know, how we maximize the, the, the value of, of Canadian products and where it goes to, to customers and how it moves. So I agree, pretty, pretty concerning stuff in here and obviously something we'll be, we'll be watching with these reports and, and watching for how you know, this capacity split works on the West Coast versus the East Coast. So next week, Milt, I think we'll talk about CP, but I appreciate uh, your insight today. And for those of you who would like to see the Ag Transport Coalition reports, you can go to www.agtransportcoalition.com and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks. Thanks.